Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, I want to spend a few moments today talking to you about the similarities and yet the differences between the giving of the law and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You and I both know that the Old Testament is a foreshadow, a picture, an imagery of what's to come in the New Covenant, the New Testament. And we see so many things that are pictured in that Old Covenant that are then fully realized with the coming of Jesus Christ, with His sacrifice on Calvary, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension to the Father. So many things are pictured for us and give us hope for tomorrow from the Old Testament. I really don't have a lot of time for preachers who say, I don't preach from the Old Testament. It's not relevant to us today. They're missing the whole thing. God set all of this up. He showed us what was going to happen through the Old Testament so that when we walk in that new covenant where we're at today, we have a clearer and a greater understanding of the plan of God for our life. All Scripture is inspired. God breathed by His Holy Spirit. That's from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. All Scripture is inspired. So we need to appreciate what God did and the pictures that He painted for us in the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament. It's not that we live under the law today. We do not. Matter of fact, when we walk through this message this morning, we will see again that it's impossible for you and I as human beings walking in shoe leather to fall under the law and live to the fulfillment of the law. Only Jesus was able to do that. Only Jesus lived a sinless life. You and I have no hope of that happening in our lives under the law. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost Sunday, great things happened that day. Wonderful things occurred. And what the believer couldn't do previously, he could do now because of the presence and the power of God living and flowing through his life. So I'm not here to put you under the law or condemn you, but rather I'm here to encourage you that there is a helper. There is a life force. There is a presence of God who is Holy Spirit who can infill and indwell each and every one of us and enable us to live as Jesus lived. To do what Jesus wants us to do. To become who He's already destined us to be. It all happens through the work and through the ministry of Holy Spirit. So let's look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul started the church in Galatia. Years later, he's hearing of heresies, false teachings, a reverting to the previous ways of Judaism and the law occurring in this church. So that's the reason he writes this book, and that's the reason he's so strong and direct and frank towards these believers in Galatians. And it's not just the one church that he writes, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's churches in the region that he's writing this book too. Galatians chapter 1, 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. In other words, he's saying, I've got one question. I just have one question for you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
In other words, did you receive the promise and the power of God through the Torah, through the Ten Commandments, through the Levitical law, or did you receive it because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Just one question. Did the Spirit come by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, why do you keep going back? Why do you want to learn the same lessons over and over again? Why do you return to the rituals of a religion rather than living in the richness of a relationship that comes through Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Again, there's the question. Does it come by the law, or does it come by faith in Jesus Christ? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, with believing Abraham. Father, add your anointing, your clarity, your wisdom to the preaching of your word this morning. Open our hearts and our minds and help us to perceive and understand what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. There are many similarities and there are many differences between the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Many things that we can see and we can compare, we see there are foreshadows there, but yet there are always stark differences as well. I want you to think about it for just a moment. When Moses led the children of Israel to Mount Sinai during the Exodus, after God had delivered them from Egypt and from slavery, they led them to, he led them to Mount Sinai and it was there that he told them to camp. He was going to go up on the mountain and meet with God. And it was on that mountain that God took with his finger and wrote the commandments, the Ten Commandments, on tablets of stone, both the front and the back, the Scripture says. And then we see that when uh, God met him there, God met him by fire and by smoke and by thunder. So I started thinking about that. How many times did God express himself or demonstrate his presence in the Old Testament by fire? Well, there's quite a few, actually. Exodus chapter 3, God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush by fire. You can go on and read that he led Israel out of Egypt with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You can go on and read that when Elijah was doing battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he challenged them that the God who answers by fire will be the true and the living God. And that's the God the Israelites will serve. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12. After Elijah won that great battle, then he came to a place of depression in his life. You know, there's a, there's a lesson in here many of us need to learn. Many times it's after the greatest victories that we suffer the greatest depressions. We have a great high, and then all of a sudden we feel our legs being kicked out from underneath us. We need to realize that whether we're at the high of victory or the low of defeat and depression, God never leaves us. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 19. The, the previous chapter said that he defeated and killed the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel heard about it. And she said, as you have done to them, I will do to you before tomorrow ends. 
And he was afraid and he feared and he ran for his life. And then you jump to chapter 19. And the Bible says, Elijah, why are you here? God's speaking to him. Why are you here? He said, oh, I was so zealous. I did exactly what you wanted me to do. I followed your commands and now I'm ready to die. I'm ready to give up. Just throw in the towel. Anybody ever feel that way? You feel like you've given your all. You've left nothing on the field. You've exhausted yourself. And yet it seems like everybody's still against you. Nobody wants to encourage you. Somebody's out for you. That's the way Elijah felt. And then in 1 Kings 19, verse 12, it says that God said, Get outside the cave. Stand on the mountain. And I'm going to show myself to you. The Bible says there was a great wind. A wind that literally crushed rocks and moved them on that mountainside when you read the scripture. Then there was an earthquake. And then there was a fire. And then a still small voice. Here's my point. Both when the law was given and when the Holy Spirit was outpoured on Pentecost, there were signs of fire falling in that time. And that fire represented God. But additionally, at Pentecost, there came the voice of the Spirit speaking into hearts and lives, convincing men there is power to live for Jesus Christ. Oh, that's why I'm glad Tom moved to that song this morning. There is power in the name of Jesus. Somebody ought to feel that in your soul. It ought to move you in your feet. It ought to make you want to shout and dance. There is power in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaks that to us. God's presence during Pentecost, you can read it in Acts chapter 2, was accompanied by the sound of a rushing mighty wind, by cloven tongues of fire that sat on each of them, and by each of them speaking in a language they had never learned. When we read that, we recognize God is once again visiting His people, but with a new demonstration. He led the Israelites with fire. He called Moses by fire. He proved his power by fire to Elijah. But when he moved to the New Testament, he says the fire of God is going to sit on each one of you. And the wind of the Spirit is going to blow through each one of you. And the power of God will be demonstrated in you to the point you'll be able to do things you never learned how to do. The power of Pentecost. According to the rabbis, this is literally in the Talmud, it's Jewish history. According to the rabbis, the world was divided into 70 languages. Matter of fact, the Talmud states every single word that went out from the omnipotent was split up into 70 languages for the nations of the world. In Acts chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says that devout men from every nation under heaven heard them speaking in their own language. There's a picture of what's going to happen in Jewish religion and tradition of what does happen on the day of Pentecost. So we see at Mount Sinai, God revealed himself by fire. At Pentecost, God revealed himself by fire. And then we move on and we think about it. When God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, what were the people doing? Can anyone tell me? Do you remember? They were worshiping a golden calf, weren't they? You see, Moses stayed too long on the mountain. The people got tired of waiting around. And they said to Aaron, who was Moses' brother, also the high priest of Israel, they said to Aaron, make us an idol that we can worship. Make us a God that we can worship. 
Listen, God had just delivered from them from paganism, from slavery, from idolatry. He had just proved His power to them in so many miraculous ways, but already they're turning around and they're going back and they're saying, we want to worship like we worshiped in Egypt. Make us a God like we had in Egypt and let us worship it. So Aaron said, take off the gold that's in your ears and give it to me. And he threw it in a vat and melted it down. Then he made a golden calf. And when Moses came down the mountain, he heard the sound of singing and dancing and rejoicing. And when he saw what was going on, he became so angry, so impassioned, he threw those stone tablets on the ground and they broke in pieces. The law that God had given to them. They broke in pieces. And then he walked down to Aaron and he said, what have you done? And Aaron said, hey, they wanted a God. I just threw it in the fire and out it came. Isn't that the way we are? When we know we fail God, we've got the lamest excuses in the world. Oh God, I just took all their gold. I threw it in the fire and boom, presto, out comes a golden calf. Just like they worshiped in Egypt, they're worshiping again here now. Folks, when I read that story, I want to say to you, stop making excuses. Yes, we will fail God, but when we do, you get up, you pull your britches up and put your boots on and move on in the power of God. That's why the Word says, if we can, if we, when we sin, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Don't be trapped, don't be bound in yesterday. And you know what happened? Moses told the Levites that day when he found the golden calf, take your swords. The Levites were the priests of Israel. Take your swords and kill as many as you can. 3,000 people died that day at the base of Mount Sinai. 3,000 died at the base of Mount Sinai. Now jump to Acts chapter 2. And Peter, after being filled with the Holy Ghost, stood up and began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time. He declared him to be the Son of God. He declared him to be the one who gave his life for their sins. The one you persecuted. The one you crucified, he said to those people listening. And what happened that day on Pentecost? 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. You think that isn't a parallel? You think that isn't a picture? When the law was given, 3,000 people died. When Holy Spirit was given, 3,000 people came to life. 3,000 people experienced God. 3,000 people were born into the kingdom. Oh, somebody, you ought to shout amen. I'm so thankful I don't live under the law, but I live under the power of the Holy Ghost of the living God, and He doesn't kill me. He breathes life into me. 3,000 died at Mount Sinai. 3,000 were born to the kingdom on Pentecost. What a great and a wonderful thing that really was. What a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Paul wrote more about the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant than any other writer of the New Testament. Let me just share a few things that he wrote with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he wrote these words, It is He who made us capable of serving the new covenant, which consists not of a written law, but of the Spirit. The written law brings death, but the Spirit gives life. 
Oh, somebody, you ought to remember that. You ought to write it down. You ought to memorize it. The written law brings death, but the Spirit gives life. I'm not living under the law. I'm fulfilling the law by the power of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit brings life. Why do you think Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, because he recognized the law only brought condemnation. It only caused us to realize our failures. It only put guilt and shame upon our lives. But when the Spirit came, oh, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit brings deliverance. The Spirit brings help. The Spirit gives strength. He enables us to live the life God has called us to live. The law and the gospel, it's the letter and the spirit. The old covenant, Paul says, ministered death. The new covenant ministers life. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that wonderful day generated a movement of which you and I are yet a part of today. 2,000 years later, we are still God-breathed to life. Holy Spirit lives in us. He gives us power. He gives us ability. He gives us wisdom and revelation. He enables us to live godly in Christ Jesus. We're a part of that same movement. Romans 8, 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likefulness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. You see, what the law couldn't do, bring us deliverance, Jesus Christ did through His sacrifice and through His death. And what was His promise? Not many days hence shall the Holy Spirit be poured out upon you. It was the promise of the Father and the promise of the Son. Galatians 3, when we continue reading that passage and jump to verse 19, down through verse 25, Paul talks about the contrast again. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, and the word seed refers to Jesus Christ, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But all the Scripture has confirmed, confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, listen to it, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor, bringing us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer have need for that tutor. That's good news for you and me. You see, I don't have to memorize 365 things that I have to do in order to be righteous. I don't have to memorize 247 things that I can't do in order to be righteous. I don't have to write scripture on my hand or on my shoulder, upon my forehead. I don't have to carry it around that way so that I don't break the law. No, through the Spirit of God, by faith, I become a law-abiding citizen in the kingdom of the Most High God. And he gives me the strength to live for him. The law revealed our need for God, but didn't give us the power to live for God. That's the weakness of the law. It shows us how far we fall short 
of the commands of God. But it gives us no power to live righteously. That's why Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, 6, your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Galatians 5, 26 says it this way, now by the Spirit, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. What the law couldn't do, Jesus came and accomplished, and now the Holy Spirit makes it effective in our lives today. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul wrote it this way, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians 1.30, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, listen to this, who has become for us wisdom from God. He is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Oh, come on, church, can I encourage you? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put on the garments of righteousness, holiness, redemption through Jesus Christ that are offered by His Holy Spirit. We see the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. The law kills, the Spirit brings life. And then we see also those differences, those parallels. God's presence was symbolized at Sinai, by a cloud and fire. That cloud and fire led the Israelites out of Egypt. Later, God then moved his presence into a temple, a tabernacle constructed by man. He gave Moses the instructions for the tabernacle when he was up on Mount Sinai the first time. He told him exactly how to build it, what it would look like, and how it should be fulfilled. But I want you to think back a little bit further and notice the progressions through Scripture. When you go back to the book of Genesis and God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says he walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. He talked with them in the garden. It was a personal relationship. They knew God personally because God walked with them and God talked with them. And then, you know, they fell, they sinned, and they were expelled from the garden. And then God said, you need to set up a personal altar in order to worship me. And you know the story of their two sons, Cain and Abel, how that they both built altars and brought a sacrifice. Abel's was accepted, Cain's was rejected. And because Cain's was rejected, he became angry of his brother and he killed his brother. But it was still a personal altar at that point that God required. And then you can walk a little further through the book of Genesis and you see that suddenly God reveals himself to Abraham as a voice. He speaks directly to him. It's a personal relationship. He revealed himself to Jacob, and Jacob fought with the angel of God. And then when he came to Moses, he revealed himself in that burning bush and called him out of the wilderness back into his destiny. Every revelation of God to that point was a personal revelation. But then when God gives the law to Moses on Sinai, the revelation of God and the presence of God becomes a corporate revelation. He said, build a tabernacle. And they built the tabernacle. And there, the presence of God began dwelling in the tabernacle and speaking to people corporately. It became a national religion and a national relationship. It set up the rituals of sacrifice. It established the holy of holies and the holy place. He set up the way that men could be atoned to God and his sins forgiven. But during Pentecost, listen to me, during Pentecost, 
the temple that Solomon had built, that had been destroyed and then built again in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the temple that stood on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that is where the presence of God resided. The Holy of Holies was there. It was separated by a thick veil that was 30 foot tall and over a foot wide. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom, symbolizing the fact that you and I now have access to God, not through a high priest, but to the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And then on the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit was poured out. He dwelled in the lives of men and women. He filled them with the power of God. And the presence of God, catch this, went from the temple on Mount, the temple mount in Jerusalem to the temple that you and I possess. The scripture clearly teaches he resides in this temple built of clay. He resides in each and every one of us. We carry the presence of God with us everywhere we go. We are temples of His Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Most High God. So it came first full circle. In Genesis, He was personal. He walked with Adam and Eve. He talked with Adam and Eve. And when we come to the day of Pentecost, suddenly God is not a national religion. He's not confined to a temple on the mount in Jerusalem. But suddenly, He's dwelling in you and me. He's living in you and me. We are temples of the Most High God. It comes full circle again because God wants to be personal to you and me. He wants us to know Him, to experience Him. Romans 8 9 says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 and 20 says, do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Look around us today and see our society, and it's obvious that there are so many people who understand this physical being is a temple. And they worship this temple. They're going to eat the right foods so the temple stays pure. They're going to do the right exercises so the temple stays strong. They're going to talk to you about your body, which is a temple. But they omit the important factor that the body was created to be the temple of the Most High God. So the question is, what's in your temple this morning? Is it the things of the world or the things of God? Is Holy Spirit dwelling in you or is the things of the flesh dwelling in you? It's not enough to say this body is a temple. You must recognize it's a temple made for the Most High God. He wants to live in you. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to reveal Himself to you. You are made to be a container for the God of the heavens to live in you and to dwell in you. And as a result, we carry him wherever we go. And last this morning, as I bring this thing to a conclusion, we see the parallels and the differences. The Torah, the law that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, became the teaching for a community of people, for the nation of Israel. It became the code that they were to live by. It became the roadmap that they were to follow in every aspect and transaction of their life. And people, the Jews, loved the law. You can fast forward a few hundred years. The Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. They tore down the temple, destroyed the city, and took all the smart people, and that's really what they did. They took all the smart people, the educated people, into captivity and back to Babylon. 
And then 70 years later, what occurred was what we know as the second exodus. 70 years, the Jews began returning back to Jerusalem. You can read it in Nehemiah. You can read it in Ezra. The Bible says that Nehemiah went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and re-inhabit the city. Ezra went back to rebuild the temple. There's a really good little tidbit found in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. It says that Ezra found the book of the law. He opened it. The people were there. They were standing, masses of them. And he began to read from the book of the law from the morning to the midday. You realize that's several hours? They were standing in the heat and the sun. He was reading the law of the Lord. But notice their reactions. Notice what happened when they heard the word. They began to weep. They were so overcome that once again they were hearing the word, the law of the living God being read in their midst and read in their presence. Verse 8 says that as they read it, they read it distinctly and helped the people to understand. You see, if we don't understand what the word says, it's of no relevance to us. But that was the purpose. It became the teaching for the people. The Torah was their teaching. The law was their guidepost. But at Pentecost, notice the transition from a book of laws and rules and regulations that guided the people. Holy Spirit of the living God came and became our teacher. He resides in us to guide us and to direct us, to teach us and to show us the things of God. John 14, 26 calls him our teacher, that he opens our spiritual understanding. He enables us to grasp the deep things of God and moves us towards the riches of the Lord. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 13. Which, speak, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In other words, the Holy Spirit speaks to us what's happening in heaven, what the will of God really is. We look around us, and because of that, we can say, hey, what's going on? That's really not what's happening. Y'all need to hear the voice I'm hearing. You need to get the counsel I'm receiving. You need to listen to what Spirit is saying because He's telling you what's going on is really not what's happening. He combines spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I don't know about you. But I need some teaching from the Holy Spirit. I want to open my heart to Him today and say, Spirit of God, just come and flood me. Flow through me. Tom, will you come back? Move in my life as you've never done before. Fill me afresh and anew. Move me from positions of legalism and ritualism to a place where I can walk with you and know you. When Holy Spirit came, He reinstituted that personal relationship with the living God. He made it possible for you and I to know God intimately and personally, just as Adam and Eve did at the very beginning of this planet. This morning, wouldn't you like to know Him in that way? The only thing required is that you reach out and accept His Son, Jesus Christ, to be your Savior and your Lord. And when you do, He inhabits you. He fills you. He begins that journey in you that takes you into the very presence of God. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Father, we know that you're in this room today. You're in every room of every person 
who's tuned in to the live stream. Maybe someone's watching this on Tuesday or Thursday or three weeks from now or three years from now. Whenever they view this broadcast, you're going to be there. You're going to be speaking to them, calling them, challenging them to reach out and respond to you. Today, Father, for those watching, for those listening on the radio, for those sitting in the sanctuary, for those who don't know you as the Lord and Savior, Spirit, do your work. Convict and convince and draw men and women to you right now. You see, it's not enough to be good because you'll never be good enough to satisfy the law. It's not enough to be religious because you'll never be religious enough to obtain righteousness. It's not enough to be moral because our morality falls far short of God's standard. The only access we have to eternal life into heaven is through God's Son, Jesus Christ. If you're watching, if you're in this room this morning, if you're listening, you've never asked Him to be your Lord and your Savior, today is your day. Today is your time. It's time that you can rejoice and celebrate and thank God for sending a Son for you. So right now, if you've never accepted Him and you need to, I know you may be sitting in your living room by yourself or with your family, but do this anyway. You're sitting in the sanctuary, do this anyway. You need to accept him. Just lift up your hand and say, that's me, preacher. I need Jesus. Right there where you're at, just lift up that hand. Maybe someone's going to see it. That's okay. This is a public thing, not a private thing. We declare our faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those right now who have responded. I pray for those sitting in their living rooms, their family rooms, in their office, driving down the highway in their car that have acknowledged their need of Jesus Christ. And now I pray that the forgiveness of the Son will flow into their life. All you have to do, my friend, is say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me and cleanse me. And when you do that, immediately, he does a work of forgiveness. He makes you a new person from the inside out. And He qualifies you to be a temple of His Holy Spirit. Do that right now, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.